4: Hello and welcome. I'm Royful Brown and this is Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Today I'm joined by author, pundit and sage Carla Sequist. Carla, um, where are you today and how are you?
5: Well, I'm distressed over Ukraine, as we all are, but I am in um, Washington state in the Pacific Northwest of America.
4: Uh, Carla, just before we start um, our conversation about uh, these kind of shocking two weeks in terms of yes. uh, w- world history, um, tell me a little bit about you, because you have a really compelling kind of backstory. You're a playwright, but you seem to have kind of pivoted and become somewhat of an oracle and a sage in terms of a world event. So, and tell us a little bit about your career uh, before you went into the world of looking at kind of geopolitics.
5: You're very astute. Royfield, because that was a pivot. I made a pivot on 9-11. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time, witnessing in horror the Pentagon on fire. I had been a playwright at the time and I knew (laughs) watching that fire at the Pentagon that the world had changed and I wanted to make sense of the craziness coming at us. So I switched immediately into commentary. I've been writing commentary for over 20 years now. First for the Christian Science Monitor, then Huffington Post, and now for Medium. And I have a very broad, broad beat. I write on politics, culture, ethical, moral issues, and the American character. My early career was in civil rights. I majored in international relations. You refer to the playwriting. The play of note of mine is a play based on my phone calls with a man under siege in Sarajevo in the early 90s called the washington sarajevo talks. There is a through line from that connection into Sarajevo to what we see now.
4: Uh, Thank you for filling in the backstory. In a week that has seen Poland offer its old MiG fighters to aim the defense of Ukraine through the US, we're gonna ask just how has the liberal world order been broken by Vladimir Putin? I
2: stay here in Kyiv. At Bankova Street. I don't hide and I'm not afraid of anyone. I will stay here as long as it's necessary to win in our patriotic war.
3: Speaking later to the UK Parliament, Zelensky reports more than 50 children have been killed. Zelensky renewing his call for allies to recognize Russia as a terrorist state and his plea to close the skies over Ukraine. <laughs>
1: Ukrainian police officer saying goodbye to his baby son. As he heads off to war, almost two weeks into the Russian invasion, more heartbreaking images of refugees battling the cold and looming threat of Vladimir Putin's soldiers.
3: Alex and Christine, the humanitarian crisis is only getting more dire as the U.N. now reports. More than two million refugees have fled Ukraine since the February 24th invasion, but not Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. The 13th day of war bringing more evacuations in and around the capital city of Kyiv. One woman who just arrived in Romania by ferry summed it up like this. It is 2022 and people are going to moon and uh, we have Tesla cars and
4: we have all that amazing uh, technology in our world and
3: here comes war, the stupid war is is kind of um, insane.
4: Carla, in your article, which is entitled, Putin Attacks the Rules-Based Order, you say that this is nothing other than naked aggression. Can you explain to us why this is so different from any other kind of act of aggression that we've seen in Europe in the last 75 years?
5: It's not just my insight. I think much of the world, people get it. They see that the world could change with this attack of Russia on Ukraine. They maybe don't know what it is yet, but they they get it, that we are at a turning point. We're either going to go in the direction of dark or the light. This is not just another skirmish over there, but it is here. And I think it's also re- remarkable that people, when they're viewing these awful events in Ukraine, they're already voting, as it were, do not like what they see. They abhor it, the killing of civilians a war crime is being committed in plain view and people are voting for the Ukrainian people, for democracy and in condemnation of Russian aggression. I'm trying to express that we're all, what we're all trying to see and make sense of. I think we know the horror that we're seeing and and I just hope that as we talk here, that we don't look at Ukraine as just a case study, another in the long and tragic history of, you know, the fate of small nations caught in big power politics. I hope we can stay in the moment with Ukraine and not get academic. But, you know, as we struggle to make sense of where we are, I'm glad to to help out as I can. But but I
4: think it's important, though, because many people will say – I don't necessarily share their view, but I have to play devil's advocate. Why is this different? We didn't do anything when he annexed Crimea in 2014. We didn't do anything in 2008 when he launched his invasion into Georgia and Russian tanks went all the way to the capital in Tbilisi. We've had the Americans who bombed Belgrade in the mid nineties to aid the Bosnian fight against the Bosnian Serbs. So people will say, All this has happened. The West has blood on its hands. Why is this so different? Why should I care for the Ukrainian people in 2022 when our politicians didn't care for them, let's say, in 2014?
5: Well, you know, that that may be, you know, a a tragic aspect of democracy and the West is that, you know, we may have been viewing or looking at our democracies as like the immersive environment in which we all swim. You know, maybe events over there didn't impinge on us. I don't know. I I can't explain the dynamics of why the, the universal support is so directed to Ukraine now. But it has impinged, hasn't it? And I just hope that they are not a tragic example. I just hope that we can act on the consciousness that we have now. Well, as Thucydides expressed the truth long, long ago in ancient Greece, the powerful do what they can and the weak suffer what they must. I think that may be why people are so upset now with what's going on in Ukraine is they see the suffering. The New York Times said this is perhaps the most reported war ever. Perhaps that has something to do, Roy Field, with the awakening public world consciousness to what's going on in in Ukraine and to democracy.
4: There's definitely something which is very different about this war. On the one hand, it feels incredibly old fashioned. We have tanks. We haven't seen the movement of tanks uh, on our TV screens in terms of a war, um, maybe since Arab-Israeli wars or the second world war. So we've seen tanks, very visceral symbol of, of military might. And then we are seeing children wrapped up in winter coats being put onto trains. And then we are seeing uh, the modern media messaging of Zelensky, and it is tugging at heartstrings. Do you think that if we look at the Vietnam War, that was definitely a war of which American public opinion played a major part eventually in terms of turning the tide? Not only were the Americans kind of bogged down and couldn't beat the Viet Cong but it was the body bags at home. Do you think that this is a really large component of of this conflict is that whatever the Russians do, whether they might militarily get to Kiev, Kharkov, and occupy these cities, that actually, in the opinion of the world, that this is just barbarism, which we all thought we'd put behind us. And fundamentally, they're going to lose that battle almost regardless of what the, the Russian military might attain on the ground.
5: I do, I fear that Russia may prevail here. I mean, it will occupy Ukraine, but it can't do it successfully because the Ukrainians will never give up. Is that going to teach Russia anything? Meanwhile, its economy is, is tanking with all the sanctions, uh, uh, international businesses pulling out. It, it seems that Mr. Putin, he has p- been pursuing this mad dream of recovering Ukraine for decades now. You know, what, what I find promising, Royfield, Field, is uh, the protest in Russia. Yes, it's a closed state, they only get state media, but there are elements of the Russian public that are receiving information, looking for it on the internet. And Alexei Navalny, the great opposition leader, And Putin's nemesis from his prison is issuing tweet messages to the Russian public saying that this hideous, he calls it a hideous war of Putin's in Ukraine. You must take a stand on this. You must decide. And it will decide the fate of Russia for the 21st century. So maybe if there's any hope to be found in this, I mean, I think Putin in the end will be uh you know he he will have he will he will have uh, be taken over by some means and but what will what will result we don't know but there is reason to hope for the protest in russia and certainly you know the ukrainian people will never give up reverting back to uh vietnam i will say here in the united states it was called the first televised war it was a war that you ate with your six o'clock news it was that that galvanized the american public into the streets and it was the american public that ultimately stopped that war too late i i have some hope for uh, protests coming from below in russia here we know that
4: russia is a, a flawed democracy at best and that's putting it uh, at its most charitable I, I'm somewhat surprised that you put so much store by normal Russians, average Russians, uh, considering that they uh, fed such um, a biased uh, diet uh, of media. Surely, one of the things which I, which we, which is more likely to happen is that there'll be some kind of palace coup, and or aided and abetted by the 300 plus sanctioned um, oligarchs, you know, these kind of plutocrats who are the robber barons of of modern day Russia and Mm -hmm. are helping to prop up this kleptocratic regime. Surely the fact that sanctions are hitting them, which is where it's most important to them, in their uh, bank accounts, in their back pockets. That is the weakness, surely, of Putin's regime. It's the plutocrats around him and the fact that the Russian military is actually quite a pragmatic organisation. This is uh, a more likely kind of scenario quickly out of the uh, terrible present that we're in right now.
5: You may be aware that you know there are Russian soldiers who are deserting. There was a remarkable instance of a Russian police officer sent into Ukraine who was taken prisoner by the Ukrainians and made a public statement. It's gone viral, you've probably seen it nine or 10 minutes, you know, he's telling his Russian comrades, we were duped, you know, it was supposed to be a regular exercise. We did not understand. We were being sent here into a fratricidal war. Right now, the Russian structure may look formidable. You know, history is bigger than that, too. I mean, if it loses its economy, What is it? It can only trade with China. China is looking closely at this whole terrible crisis, trying to understand better what it can do. I mean, I, I I don't trust its designs either. But I want to stay in the moment, and I want to stay in fighting mode. I want to spread the word, you know, that more Russian soldiers should desert. They're taking terrible casualties. The mighty Russian military machine The world is taking note. It's not so great. And history is bigger than Putin.
4: You're listening to a recording. If you're listening to the podcast, the recording of Mid-Atlantic, which has been done on the platform Clubhouse. Clubhouse is where you, good podcast listener, can download the app to your smartphone. If you then uh, hit the little greenhouse and become a member of the uh, Mid-Atlantic Club, you'll be alerted as of when we go live with these shows. Generally, we record these on a Thursday or a a Wednesday um, every other week. But whilst this um, invasion is going on, we're we're doing weekly shows. So why don't you, good podcast listener, download the Clubhouse app and join us in the audience. The international community is utterly being galvanized by this Russian invasion, and it prompted um, some really stark changes in geopolitical policy. One of them is from Germany. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has ushered in a, quote, new era in world history, noting that the events of the past week have raised serious questions over the ability of Western allies
0: to deter, quote, warmongers like Vladimir Putin. We must support Ukraine in this desperate situation, and we have done so to a large extent in recent weeks, months and years. But with the invasion of Ukraine, we have entered a new era. In Kyiv and Kharkiv and also in Mariupol, people are not only defending their homeland, they're fighting for freedom and their democracy, for values that we share with them. He announced a one off,
4: quote, special fund of 100 billion euros to bolster Germany's defenses. He went on to say that the country will invest more than 2% of its gross national product in annual military spending.
0: The dritte gross challenge lies in preventing. The third major challenge is to prevent Putin's war from spreading to other countries in Europe. This means, without ifs and buts, we stand by our duty of support in NATO. President Putin should not underestimate our determination to defend every square meter of alliance territory, together with our allies.
5: Schultz also thanked everyone who protested against Putin's war and those who stand for a free and peaceful Europe, which he vowed to defend.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, all right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch.
4: What other yes. second-order effects will we actually see because of this conflict? Uh, we mentioned there that Germany is now up in its military spending to record post-Second War, World War levels. It's going to have a much more robust kind of foreign policy. What other second-order effects can we see maybe in the United States or in Western Europe because of this invasion?
5: Well, just just to stay with the the, the, the German action, the reaction, Olaf Scholz's speech to the Bundestag—he cogently captured what's at stake in this crisis: Russia on Ukraine. It's about force versus law. And then he had to be persuaded with some intensity, but he—he he did cut off Germany's agreement with uh, to the Nord Stream two gas pipeline. Europe, as you may well know, is much more married to Russian. Oil and gas than the United States, but that was remarkable, and 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 I think we can take heart. That was a democracy that spun basically on a dime and disallowed about seventy-five years of post World War II policy and came to the moment. Here in the U.S., there's been some remarkable reporting recently in the Wall Street Journal, sorry, the New York Times and the Washington Post, that President Biden started the spigot of military materiel to ukraine back in november it's been pretty substantial he has to take exquisite care that american input cannot be so great that it looks like we'll be ramping up the tension with a nuclear superpower in russia that's just where we cannot go just politically biden is getting his footing here i wished our media were not so Focused on polls, the popularity ratings of our politicians. Biden was suffering bad polls, but with his State of the Union address, which he started out 10 minutes directed, focused on Ukraine, his polls on the Ukraine question because of the Ukraine question went up 18 points. So I think that bespeaks a popular appreciation in America of what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. The military aid is substantial. Just floated was an open letter by 27 foreign policy experts recommending a limited no-fly zone. As you know, President Biden and NATO have been adamantly against a no-fly zone over Ukraine because that would require American NATO pilots to enforce the no-fly zone and that would bring them in possibly direct confrontation with Russia which we just can't go there. That debate is intense. Poland made an offer to uh, offer its 28 MiG fighter jets to Ukraine. They are of course Russian jets and the Ukrainians having trained in those jets they know how to fly them. The press was announcing it was a go, it was, it was no go, it was go, it was no go. It is now no go because the Pentagon ultimately decided it's not tenable and would ramp up tensions too much with Russia, between U.S. and Russia. Everybody is glued to CNN and MSNBC. I, I just sense that the, the world is turning on its axis, and I hope we still have a hand in all of it.
4: Where does this put people like Donald Trump and those parts of the Republican Party that were somewhat in awe of Putin just up until the invasion. I'm going to play um, a little bit of a clip from a speech that Trump gave, and I'm going to give him more credit than I initially thought afterwards. But let's just listen to something which he said, I think it was a day if not two days before the invasion. Here is Donald J. Trump.
1: Yesterday, reporters asked me if I thought President Putin was smart. I said, of course he's smart, to which I was greeted with, oh, that's such a terrible thing to say. I'd like to tell the two, yes, he's smart. The NATO nations, and indeed the world, as he looks over what's happening strategically with no repercussions or threats whatsoever, they're not so smart. They're looking the opposite of smart. If you take over Ukraine we're going to sanction you they say sanction well that's a pretty weak statement Putin is saying oh they're gonna sanction me they sanctioned me for the last 25 years you mean I can take over a whole country they're gonna sanction me you mean they're not gonna blow us to pieces at least psychologically the problem is not that Putin is smart which of course he's smart but the Real problem is that our leaders are dumb. Dumb. So dumb. And they so far allowed him to get away with this travesty and assault on humanity. That's what it is. This is an assault on humanity. So sad.
4: Initially, when... It was reported that Trump said that at CPAC. It, w- it was reported that he was uh, completely elevating the intellect of Putin. Now, very obviously, during his presidency, I think we can all admit that uh, Trump seemed to cozy up to Putin. Um, he said that he was, um, you know, a strong leader, etc. Regardless of whatever domestic atrocities he'd actually done at home, but when you actually play All of that clip, it goes somewhat against the headlines. He does say that there are crimes uh, committed against humanity. I never thought I'd say this, but Donald J. Trump has much more nuance than I actually thought he ever had. But we do have people like Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, etc., who've been extolling the virtues of Putin and who were saying that Russia isn't our geopolitical foe. Where do they go now, Carla?
5: You know, since Trump said that, there was initially some loud Republican approval. And then because of the crush of world disapproval of what Russia doing, that Republican approval of Russia and Putin is lowering considerably. It is considered now bad politics to go there because... Republicans understand that Democrats, they're they're going to go into our our November 2022 midterm elections and cite Republicans as Putin-loving Republicans. It's already going to be a campaign feature. Donald Trump, I have long been calling him in my commentary, a proto-autocrat. He is an autocrat in the making. He's an autocrat who is operating in a democracy, but, you know, With him, lawlessness is a good thing. You know, history is going to be bigger than Donald Trump, too. I can't cite polls yet, but I do read about Republicans that they're becoming a little less ardent about Trump. And I'm glad to see that Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, who ran in 2012 for the presidency against Barack Obama, in that campaign, he accurately noted that Russia remains still our main geopolitical rival. In the aftermath of what Donald Trump said about Putin's genius, Senator Romney stepped forward and said, I feel such talk is almost treasonous. And then in my commentary, I said, I'd remove the almost and just call it treasonous. So Royfield, it's all going to go into the mix of, you know, we're fighting for our democracy here too. and. President Biden is very clear on that. That's what it is issue, at issue here. We're fighting for our democracy. For way too long our voter participation rates have been way down. It's only when we have an existential election like the 2020 election when uh, Donald Trump was up for re-election, we managed to get out a historic high in voter participation. So that's where we are right now. Like you, Roy I may give credit to Donald Trump, pointed out to the earlier incursions that Putin did in Crimea, Donbass, Luhansk, and Georgia, we didn't do anything. And that is true. And so, I, you know, the international community needs to take action, you know, officially recognize violations of international law let's just which international law pertains if if putin wins here i don't know barack obama should have done something about when he drew the red line in syria and saying that you know bashar al-assad's use of chemical weapons against his own people would force america's hand and it didn't I think it's long now been understood that that was a big mistake of Barack Obama. So, yes, in in terms of our foreign policy, America has has lacked. We're now in the midst of determining what is our role in the world. We still there's still a lot of feeling about we need to take care of our democracy here at home and can't police the world anymore. I'm spending a great deal of time and center left. I'm going to
4: quickly jump in. Can America not do two things at once? It, it's, you know, it calls itself a superpower, the leader of the, of the free world. N- now is the time to lead with the concert of nations, i.e. NATO and uh, the West and the rest of the world against this barbarism and also uh, shoring up American democracy, uh, voter integrity and voter access at the same time. Why can't America do two things at once, patting its head and rubbing its tummy at the same time?
5: This may depend on your view of international politics. In my study, I was a ma- major in international relations, I came to understand, I, I, I think of international politics as power politics. Somebody will lead and it makes all the difference in the world, the nature of the power of the dominant member. I hope that America stays in the game, but I do believe that we need to handle power more responsibly. Our exit from Afghanistan was a calamity. You know, we did not consult with our NATO allies or our European allies. That departure was announced way beforehand, but the planning for the actual military departure and then the collapse of the country and the, again, crisis of refugees was not planned, I hope. That the Biden administration and the State Department, because the state Department is very, very, very slow in issuing the special visas to our allies in Afghanistan, the interpreters, the drivers, the fixers, the security personnel. I wrote many pieces on that. It was our moral duty to to get uh, get those people out. I also wrote a piece titled President Biden, the human rights president needs to see to the safety and security of the women and children in, in Afghanistan. I don't know if this is a learning experience and I don't think it's the way to look at it, but I h- hope going forward that America will, I think just by virtue of our booming economy, it seemed to be pretty pandemic proof, our booming military, that we will always remain a a, a major power. If not a superpower, and as I said before, I think the way inter- the dynamics of international politics works is that everybody is fighting for you know uh, the, the the power, uh, the baton, and who gets it, who gets it and wields it in the world, it makes all the difference who that the nature of that power. And if Putin and autocrats and and here we are, I mean we are at a this turning point that I that I talked about at the top of. Our, our our with democratic regression throughout the world then into the the vacuum flows the the autocrat the strong man taking you know senses weakness senses weakness in in the west fracturing in the west i am guessing putin saw america's calamitous exit from afghanistan and decided then he could go into ukraine just guessing that i'll be i'll be fascinated to see well, in future histories if that's the case
4: you, you wouldn't be the first uh, geopolitical analyst to say that that showed uh, a massive uh, kind of turning point in terms of American projection of power. So it makes sense that if the West is seemingly in retreat as symbolized by that calamitous retreat in Kabul, that now would be the time to try and destabilize, if not completely subsume uh, Ukraine.
5: And and Roy Filfin, I talk about, and I hate to pull focus to America because the focus really should be on Ukraine, but it, it is about exercise of power. And responsible exercise of power, and I hope America gets there, and also in our culture, I mean this is a culture in which our a major company, Facebook, its motto is "Move fast and break things." That's not good for a rules based order, so maybe we see you know we will see that too much chaos really you know you can't live with it, and so I think little by little suddenly America's going to come around to loving the rules based order again
4: you know i i really like that analogy to using facebook because i i've always thought I mean, that, that was i mean
5: but there is there was a hit tv series called breaking bad about a high school chemistry teacher who having learned that he has terminal cancer becomes a meth producer you know, and it could become such a popular series. I think that says something about the culture. And I think culture shapes a people as much as politics. And so I wrote a piece that got a lot of notice titled A Breaking Bad Culture Got Its President, Donald Trump. You know, well, there uh,
4: Carla, yeah, you, you're taking me down a completely different road. I'm going to have to pull myself back and I'm pulling you back right now because I must admit I did quite like Breaking Bad and he does get his comeuppance in the end. Though I appreciate that on the face of it you think that he's the hero but he's very much the anti-hero. He's very much the antagonist and, and the, I think the, one of the beauties of that was that you were led incrementally to show you how we as well-meaning people could actually do terrible things. But step by step, you could just go along with them. But anyway, I think in terms of the analogies of war, that's um, a great one. But mm-hmm. culturally, not going to get down that road right now. I, I applaud cool. you for, for, for dragging me almost down there. This is a recording of the podcast Mid-Atlantic. We've been doing this for eight years where we speak to um, sometimes it's my friends, sometimes it's informed people, it's pundits, it's politicians, it's sages about the world events generally in the United States and the United Kingdom. We have one of our friends actually on stage right now, Dr. Dan. Before I say ask him if he'd like to pose a question, uh, to Carla Sequist about the current situation in Ukraine. If you're in the audience, if you'd like to raise your hand come on stage, ask a question, make a statement, now is your time because these rooms only go on strictly for one hour. So if you're in the audience, you've been diligently listening for the last 50 minutes, please raise your hand, get up on stage and you can join in with the debate. It will be part of the podcast Mid-Atlantic Dr. Dan, you'll be waiting patiently for some 25 minutes or so. How are you today, sir, and what is your question or point?
2: Evening. Uh, Thanks for having me in here. And, uh, Carla, um, great to see you. I appreciate your work. As a great historian, uh, I definitely have uh, a few questions for you, but I'll keep it short uh, in the interest of time. Uh, My background is in uh, biodefense and was a former public health uh, biodefense appointee of the Obama administration, and a military infantry officer. Um, I bring a lot of uh, different spectrums from being an army officer, one who was uh, in OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, to one who understands the medical um, implications of a battlefield and also this whole pandemic. Um, So putting all that together, you're um, a student of history and have written wonderful essays. Um, Would you say, or how would you see the ending of this story and if history uh, recapitulates itself, um, would you say there's a strong case that this has been um, bio warfare in a different era, but maybe even resemble the time of the Black Death, um, when you do a compare and contrast between what transpired uh, uh, in an outbreak of a an infectious disease that was wiping out not just militaries but civilizations in essence and uh, compare that to what's going on now now, and what we might start to see as um, we thought COVID was making a turn in the corner and as it continues to potentially rise given the conflict. And I'm done.
5: It's interesting that, yes, we're all still, still in COVID, but COVID has suddenly taken a reduced level to the, the war in Ukraine. You asked about the military outcome and you being a military man with a impressive background, I would say, I would just note that my husband is retired military, served in the Navy for 32 years, commanded four warships, including a battleship, and was also laterally in his career a, a strategist. Both of us, we do not know what the outcome will be. It is possible that because of the overwhelming numbers of the russian military that it will prevail and but i i keep reading from military experts that even the the russian military machine does not have the resources to occupy such a large country like ukraine especially if ukrainians even from exile uh conduct a you know their resistance So. We may go into a stalemate. I would like to turn it back to you. What have you thought of the performance of the Russian military? I think it's been surprising.
2: Yes, uh, Carl. thank you uh, for your thoughts on that and your husband um his background please appreciate um please give him our best we appreciate his service Mm -hmm. and it's great that you all will be able to go back and forth and have these uh discussions i'm sure at the table Um, my thought is that while it's not about me my thought is just that there's a good great response from uh ukraine um and if they're supported they will prevail Uh, i think it's a new world order in the sense that the world will become uh more cohesive uh uh, you your clear sides will be delineated. Um, it will show if we actually. And I've always teased um, folks about this that if we do have aliens coming for us as humans, um, we might be able to survive. Because I've always said, due to our divisiveness, we will probably not prevail. Um, So it may change that thought. But um, that's just my my two stance and uh, cheeky thoughts about this. Thank you.
4: If if I can jump in, I I, I must admit, as somewhat of an an amateur armchair historian, the the lesson since 1945 is that no restive population of any size can be held down by any occupying force. Uh, That ultimately, um, that restive population will win it's just a matter of time and then the the whole asymmetry the whole kind of line of asymmetry when it comes to military conflicts now so you can have america going to war against north vietnam and if you'd have written down you know this is the north vietnamese army and the Viet Cong on one side and this is the american military you say well of course america's going to win ditto the russians in afghanistan ditto the americans in afghanistan etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, not only is there asymmetrical fighting i.e guerrillas against combat-ready troops in the traditional sense. But then there is also-
5: Roger, may I I interject here that in, in this asymmetric fight of powerful import are the Ukrainian people themselves. It is impressive how clear they are about why they're fighting.
4: Absolutely, which is one of we the are reasons so why, clear the, the, the about
5: democracy. The, the, well, you what know what, Carla, is. Carla,
4: I'm, I'm going to put, put put this to, to one side, right? And maybe it's because okay. I'm British and European, but the talk of their fighting for democracy, Ukraine is a relatively new democracy and it's a relatively flawed one. And I don't think anybody uh, would necessarily disagree with that. And I I think in terms of the idealism around democracy, I think that's a slight American talking point. And no disrespect to America and Americans, I'm sat in America right now. What they're fighting for is their independence. And I think that is much more important than a system of government, which they're actually fighting for. They're fighting for Mm -hmm. the independent sovereign right to go and screw up. However, they want to screw up, or to create a wonderful, beautiful future for the people of Ukraine, whatever future that is, and whether, and that could well be, you know, a one-party state. I don't know, but I think mm-hmm. it's what's more important than notions of uh, Madisonian democracy is that they're fighting for for independence, and because they're fighting for independence, it's an extra tank on the battlefield, it's an extra uh, jet in in the air. That sense of fighting for the very soul of the nation, for the flag, mm-hmm. it stiffens the sinews and, and gives them e- extra moral right and fortitude. And, and I think that's incredibly important.
5: I take your point about Ukrainians' fight for independence. Yes.
4: Uh, I, I've kind of outed myself as believing. Be, I never believed the Russians would invade because the lesson uh, since 1945 is that restive populations cannot be held down by conventional troops. You you will just lose. Um, but the Russians have have launched this invasion, and the very fact that the, the, the Russian military seems to be doing as badly as as we're led to believe it, it is is another shock. Um, so I cannot see how the world can allow Russia actually to win this in any way, shape, and form. Whether they end up occupying Kiev, it's just a matter of time before they lose. And, and as you said, Carla, we've already seen already. Um, not only captured Russian troops saying we didn 't know the reason why we were sent here there's a there 's a great video of a town hall in a small town in Siberia where their riot police have actually been sent to uh, to Ukraine. And the people there just saying, this is crazy, you're sending our sons and our fathers to die. And what for? There's almost going to be this uh, political civilian malaise as well as necessarily um, any kind of military uh, defeat as well. But we do have some people on stage. I'm gonna, Kim. Chanel and Guta uh, One thing I would say is keep the question just to one point, please, in the interest of time. But first, I'm going to come to you first, Chanel.
5: Thank you. Um, I wanted to know: Does anyone think that Putin will be toppled over, whether it's by someone in his own regime or some crazy lunatic that might be in Russia, or do you think it might be something like what happened in um, Egypt eleven years ago? When the military just said, you know, we're tired of this, you know, you need to step down. Well, I wouldn't hold myself out as a Russia expert. I would just give the odds that Putin would would not step down. He reminds me of Herman Melville's novel, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab. The monomaniacal Captain Ahab who pursued the white whale that had dismasted him of his leg. And long story short, he took his ship down with him, everybody. I don't know. I think the Russian economy is going to be so impacted that that may force Putin's hand. I don't know. Could anybody else help? Chanel, there's a
4: couple of examples in relatively recent Russian history where there have been palace coups, if not an actual attempted military coup. So first off, uh, Khrushchev in 64-65 is removed from being the leader of the Soviet Union in large part because of uh, the way that the Communist Party of the Soviet Union has seen the that he. That he- kind of dealt with the Cuban Missile Crisis. So and that was it, he's quietly got away with, and Leonard Brezhnev then becomes the the leader of the Communist Party there. So there is there is form. There and then, also the Soviet Union collapses because the ro- Russian military or conservative elements of the Russian military see that Gorbachev is leading the country to ruin; that it's looking like it's going to be the breakup of the of the Soviet Union. Um, up until that point, um, Russian troops have not gone in to the Baltic states with any kind of vigor, and and they're kind of clamoring for, for independence. Perestroika and Glasnost are seen to be not working. So, can these conservative elements of the Russian military conspire with elements of the Communist Party to try and topple Mikhail Gorbachev? So, I would say that it's more likely than let's say Ukrainian troops uh, battling um, the Russian troops all the way to the border. What's more likely is some kind of palace coup with pragmatic elements of the Russian military holding hands with oligarchs saying it's within our interests to get rid of this man because he has massively overplayed his hand and is leading us all to ruin. But then again, that's all supposition. Next question, Kim Murphy, over to you.
3: Thank you so much. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying. Say Putin does pass during this, what's called a revolution. I don't know what even else to call it at this point. If something happens to Putin, we already know his advisors don't even agree with him. But do you think Ukraine will go back to its own state of pre-Putin war? I'd
5: love to know your opinions. Well, if we listen to what the Ukraine people are saying now, in their fight, and I take Roy Field's point, they're, they're fighting for their independence. I think, you know, I mean, they could spring back uh, and events on the field are looking okay of late. I mean, the Ukrainian fighting forces are taking out a lot of Russian tanks. I think Ukraine would reconstitute itself immediately. I have never seen such high morale as in the Ukraine, Ukrainian people. That's why I said, I, I I think, you know, they show us how. I don't know about the dynamics uh, within Putin's world. I don't know if Alexei Navalny, who's a very powerful opposition leader, I mean, he may be imprisoned forever. I don't see any good things happening for Russia right now. What,
4: one thing which we have to put into this mix is actually is the oligarchs. And one of the things which you have in your article, uh, which I thought was somewhat stunning, uh, Carla, was I'm I'm trying to quickly find it now, but I think you said something like 84% of the GDP of Russia is owned by by these oligarchs. Stunning, stunning figure. I think it was 87%, was it? Yes. um, 80-something. 80-whatever it is, it's still too high. stunning. That's one of the inherent weaknesses of, of the Russian regime, that so few men, because they're all are men, have so much skin in the game in terms of the relative um, health of the Russian economy, that that is an inherent weakness if we can turn the screws on them in terms of economic sanctions. And then the other one is that what I've kind of alluded to a couple of times is that the Russian military apparatus is highly pragmatic historically, and Conservative Elements just in 1991, just 30-odd years ago, did try and get rid of Mikhail Gorbachev. And we do know um, MI6 um, has got great intel on this, which they've been briefing and telling everybody about, that before this invasion was actually launched, that this was not... At all, a unanimous decision to go into Ukraine by, by the Russian military. There were numerous generals who actually said, This is not wise. This is a massive uh, ratcheting up of uh, potential g- global tension. So you, c- you can construct uh, a scenario whereby this war is going really badly, and the Russian military are like, um, We are, at best, we're not going to achieve our, our goals, which is to have a quick, clean strike into Kiev, replace Zelensky, put our own person there, and then get the hell out. We've been caught in a quagmire. And the institutional memory of Afghanistan is still writ large in the Russian military psyche, that they got involved in a 10-year fight of which there was no way of extricating itself. And that was without international economic sanctions. So I think it's important for us uh, to look at the Russian military and the briefings that are coming out from MI5 and the CIA as to what they truly think their aims are and if those aims are achievable. And then also to look and read the runes of the utterances of, of the oligarchs, because anyhow, those two elements can come together. Putin is completely, utterly a busted flush internally in Russia. But we have, uh, we're joined by Pyotr Curzon on stage. So I'm going to quickly go, Guta, ask your question. One point only, please, because we we're literally run out of time. We're going to end with our good friend Pyotr to bring up the rear in terms of this show. Guta.
3: My question, it has to do with the sanctions and uh, what is it expects, the results for the... Um, my fear is that it's just going to turn a Russia in a new Cuba or Iran. People are going mm-hmm. to suffer and the government is going to harden and it's mm-hmm. not going to fall, right? And the reason, one of the reasons I think that, and maybe you could enlighten me, why it wasn't done is the fact that Sberbank Bank and Gaspro Bank is still on the SWIFT system and those are the biggest Russian banks. Mm-hmm. So what is the point in taking the little guys only?
5: I'm not an, enough of an economist to know, but you know the, the sanctions are apparently historically broad and powerful. And even you know Europeans who've been loath to sanction. Uh, russia more have agreed it's gonna it takes a time a while to play out cannot access its own banks and make payments i saw an article i think either in the wall street journal or the new york times it was a leading official of the russian the finance ministry who said i am grieving for my economy because it's gone
3: yeah, but we're having a war of narrative nowadays that you have exactly. to challenge everything we read. So I find very odd. If you're going to say I'm taking Russian from the system, then take Russian from the system. Don't give a panadol for a migraine because it's not going to work.
4: I've got a slight answer here. Again, just like Carla said, I'm utterly no financial expert. When <coughs> this invasion happened... It's not by accident that literally in a matter of two or three days, this level of unprecedented sanctions came into place, which means that Biden and Europe were already talking about this beforehand. There's no way this was coordinated in like 48 hours. It was a case of this is option. This is one option. And if you are looking at a rolling situation, what you want to do is then plan for um, various iterations of options then going going on afterwards. That what you want to do is hit them with unprecedented swinging sanctions and then to have more to come, whether it's one week, three weeks, one month later down the line. You have to keep on ratcheting up. Pressure, and I see this as a way of ratcheting up the pressure. But I'm utterly no economic expert. But that would be my answer: is the reasons why you don't hit them completely with the book straight away. That you need to leave something in reserve because ultimately, the worst set of sanctions that could ever be uh, applied on Russia will also hurt us all as well. So what you want to do yes. is go here. Here is a line. This is this should be quite devastating, but it gives us room to pause and to be able then to talk negotiate see what the reaction is to that then here is a next step afterwards what you don't do you know
5: you spoke of the unprecedented level of sanctions the russian ruble at the day after fell 30 percent i mean that is yikes level so you know we'll see what you know the sanctions do i do stand with president biden he had to take exquisite care in not getting us lightning fast into a nuclear war he couldn't rattle the soul sword he had to go the sanctions route i think most of america is with him on that
4: as is the rest of the world uh piotr you've joined us sir um you've been doing uh, great things on this app um running your continuous room uh, ever since the russians rolled their tanks across uh, the ukrainian border y- you're going to be the last person to speak in the room
0: uh it's lovely to meet carla and uh, thank you roy Field, for for uh, welcoming i mean i will i'll just comment initially on on what i've been able to listen to thus far and i would say you know the sanctions are the most amount that any country has ever received in 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 history the overnight the 22nd of february the russians number of sanctions more than doubled to over 5,200, which is uh, 1,600 more than the next uh, Iran at about 3,600. So this is uh, unprecedented waters we're in now. Equally, never a country as large as Russia has been sanctioned before, and neither has uh, the direct heads of state and foreign minister, namely Putin and Lavrov, been sanctioned as well. So This is, you know, sanctions are notoriously, uh, well, tricky to know whether how they they are successful or not. Over time, they've become more refined, but we've seen so many uh, sanctions applied to entities, individuals, uh, and so on, that uh, the, the, we are entering sort of effectively at this rate almost at like an embargo. Um, now, Russia is far too large and integrated an economy for it to become a full scale sort of North Korea scenario. But you cannot deny the the effect it's going to have on the economy and the ability for Russia to to come back from this. My own grandparents, as I have mentioned before in other places, are already affected by the sanctions and. I am very concerned by just how long, eventually, if some of them are lifted, if some of them are removed or, or reduced or whatever, how long it's going to take for the um, for the Russian economy to to come back from this. Um, we're not talking months or years; we're talking decades, um, because Putin is not looking like he's going anywhere yet. He is certainly, I think, in 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 a, de- a precarious position for someone of his well t- stature. Um, and i think we're going to see the sanctions you know erode into the um into the russian economy very severely and it's not so much the russian people that i think are going to make the difference as it is the oligarchs if the oligarchs become uh get to the point where they think well all my assets all my all the things that i benefited from in the 90s uh, are disappearing because of putin then is he really worth keeping in place can I not just replace him with someone else who has the awareness of Putin's network, say Shoigu, who is the minister of defense. He knows the system. He knows the process. He knows everybody, but he's not as perhaps so intent on self-sabotage, uh, that maybe it's time we, you know, Putin is removed and we have someone else. Um, but the sanctions are, are, are going to affect us, and and the last thing I'll say is is the potential of secondary sanctions as well. So secondary sanctions are applied to countries which, uh, shall we say, support uh, the the main perpetrators. So Russia's, if say Pakistan, India, China continue to trade or engage with Russia in a way that the rest of the international community, which isn't just the West, it's you know several other countries in different regions, uh, they could be sanctioned as well. And that could really, really affect the uh, the economy uh, in other ways. That's all. I'll stop there.
5: Yeah. Well, and I I think we can say, pity pity the Russian people.
0: Without question, I as I say, it pains me to see the direction that russia is going it's a it's a wonderful country with so much to offer it's all because of one despotic warped warm criminals desire to force a state to become a part of it or prevent it from being a democracy and therefore you see particularly the ukrainian people but also now the russian people suffering and uh it's difficult to know how we can uh come back from this, uh, at least in the immediate term. But um, Carla, I guess my question for you, what do you feel is the, uh, the end game with this? Um, more and more, we're seeing these negotiations that the Russians are demanding, sort of uh, what's called a Finland, uh Finlandization scenario. So uh, in the Winter War, for the audience uh, who are listening, Clubhouse, um, you know, Finland fought the Russians in the Winter War, and they dealt them a good bloody nose but they eventually lost territory um, in a trade-off to, to ensure that they kept their independence. It seems like Russia is sort of keen on pursuing something like that, that, that the Ukrainians maintain their neutrality, that they don't join NATO and the EU, um, and they recognize the, the, rec- the separate republic states and also that Crimea is now Russian. Um, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that's a viable solution or do you think that we're just going to see this, this
5: conflict draw well, you out? you know, the notion of ukraine being neutral that is finlandization we're perhaps past that point right now i am reading articles in the new york times talking about you know the boiling rage of ukrainians who say they will never forgive russia so can you get ever back to a neutrality from that i would agree with royfield i think that this is all about their independence if they can keep it you mentioned Finlandization. I am finished by descent, and my Finnish cousins and family, they wish devoutly that they were in NATO right now. And the discussion, the public debate about Finland joining NATO, finally, is very much a, a live matter right now. So Putin, in attacking Ukraine, may have inadvertently united the West beefed up NATO and, and made us all much more aware of the fragility of the world and the fragility of democracy. But right now we grieve for Ukraine.
4: So that was me in conversation with Carla Sequist, the author of, Carla, remind us the name of, of your book, which it has your collection of your essays in.
5: Yes, volume two of my collection of commentary titled, Can America Save Itself? From decline
4: and then where else can people see uh, your your writing
5: i write for medium just or go to my website on the homepage is the medium link right. i write about one piece a week i posted today a piece titled how the free world is helping ukraine fight to keep free
4: and um, that's where you can catch up uh, with Carlos Sequist's work. We are going to be uh, putting out more Mid-Atlantic episodes uh, for the next uh, two or three weeks. We have some great guests lined up, some great academics, one or two generals who can really explain the whole kind of military situation for us as well. Our hearts, thoughts and minds are with the brave Ukrainian people as they strive to maintain their independence as a sovereign state because uh, they are a proud people. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye bye.